Welcome to the Contrarian Marketing Podcast, where we give you ideas you might not be thinking about. Today, Elon and I are talking about the ups and downs of marketing agencies. Before we jump in, though, Eli, let's talk about some winner and loser companies of the week. What do you got on the list? I think I'm pretty negative today. It's not a company, but it's the city of San Francisco. So a lot of people complain about San Francisco. They live there and visit it. And then there are a lot of people who just think San Francisco is like the worst place in the world. And in all of my years living in the Bay Area, I, it is definitely a lot worse than it has been. And one thing I saw that was interesting this week is a lot of visitors to San Francisco complain about the dirt and the grime on the street and the number of unhoused people that just live there. I didn't realize that the city actually wants to clean that up, but they can't because a federal court is preventing them from doing it because of some sort of restriction on number of beds and homeless shelters. And the mayor of San Francisco participated in a protest against the federal court system trying to hope it, like begging them to allow her to do it. I don't think protests necessarily work against courts. They work against you know, government elected leaders who are scared of people. Courts usually don't get bullied, but hopefully don't get bullied by people. But I didn't realize, so, so that makes San Francisco definitely on the loser list because they're stuck in like a, people have called it a doom loop. So they're stuck in this problem and they can't even fix it. Like there's other things they can do. I certainly think that they shouldn't make doing drugs legal. I mean, they basically do because there's no punishment for it. I think they probably shouldn't welcome people to break into cars in the city, so they should do that. But I didn't realize they couldn't even solve the camping on the street problem legally. What about you? What do you got? Man, that's definitely a problem. On my loser list today, I have two companies that are somewhat related, and you can maybe guess who that is. It's Elon Musk. And the two companies are X, or formerly Twitter, and OpenAI. So X, obviously, on the loser list, they've been degrading for a while now. Trump just came back to post his first X post, I guess, which is his mugshot in Atlanta. And, and, and Elon kind of not only enabled his account again, but, but also supported and, and, and liked his post. Again, politically and, and morally quite questionable. And OpenAI is on my loser list because I feel that development there has stagnated quite a lot. They made a fundamental mistake by taking out the Bing integration, meaning that users are stuck again at data pre-2021. And that means a lot more people are using BART. So I think they're making strategic mistakes here. And I'm not sure if the Microsoft acquisition has something to do with it. But unfortunately, they are on my loser list. And I'm going to say that I, I love using the API in Google Sheets and Google Docs. But unfortunately, I think they're, you know, they, they have to figure this out. They have to go back to fast shipping and developing. That is the first time you said something negative about OpenAI. So let's, let's put a pin in this day. It's officially marked on the calendar. Yeah. So on, also on my loser list, before we flip over to winners, is Dicks and Dollar Tree. So both of them lost significant stock market value this week because they announced how much shoplifting is hurting their bottom line. So I think they, they talked about like a 23% drop in profits due to shoplifting. Again, problem out of their control, a lot of stuff going on. You know, certainly if there were consequences for shoplifting, there may be less of it. But it, it is unfortunate to see retailers really get hit with this because if the retailers close, the, those that don't use the internet or just want to drop down to a store, things are going to change. And like the fact that Dix has survived in an, in an Amazon and a, just an e-commerce world is amazing. Dix is a great store. 
And I hope that this doesn't chase them away from brick and mortar. What about you? What do you got on winners lists? Yeah, man, before I jump on the list, I actually saw a shoplifting live once in the Target in Vegas. This guy really just came in with a plastic bag, just put like threw some products in and then casually walked out while the employees there, they basically like they, they called the police or something or, or they, 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 they called security, but nobody interfered. And this person just casually walked out. It is absolutely nuts to see these in person. I could not believe what I was seeing. So I saw this TikTok of like a, tar- a, a target shoplifting and it showed like these security guards standing outside the TikTok, like ready to spring on the shoplifters. And then the shoplifter walks out and then the security guard just like looked as they got in their car. <laughs> it, was, it was very surprise ending. <laughs> Man, I mean, <clears throat> it's they're like, I, I wonder if these security people even, you know, like they probably do the math in their heads and they think, hey, why should I get myself in danger for the little money that I'm being paid? In California, it's actually illegal. They made a law that it is illegal for shop for security guards to confront shoplifters. That is crazy. It's like an OSHA law, nuts. like a like protect employees. Like you shouldn't have to confront it. But like you're not solving the problem, are you? Crazy. Yeah. And same. Let's hope that gets you know like there's a better solution to that because I I I don't want to live in a 2023 where people can just steal and walk out and nothing happens. On a brighter note, my winner list. So we have three companies. Nvidia, Overstock, and Bing. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through them very quickly. Nvidia, obvious winner. They absolutely crushed their earnings for the last quarter. Revenue increased, if I'm correctly, over 80 percent, which is unprecedented for a company of that size. They took a massive bet on AI, and it's it's panning out. So you know you gotta 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 give kudos to big bets and people who take risks and then come out as a winner. Similar to Overstock. Overstock did a brilliant migration to Bed Bath and Beyond.com. They're basically, they, so long story short, Bed Bath, Bed Bath and Beyond um, went uh, bankrupt. They sold some of their assets to Overstock, and Overstock is now switching their brands to Bed Bath and Beyond, and they're smartly leveraging their market assets to to basically, you know, rise as a phoenix from the ashes. And then lastly, Bing. Bing is on my winner list because there were a lot of news this week about. Being not being able to take market share from Google, which I'm not sure is proven yet, but doesn't really matter because Bing's only mission is a suicide mission against Google. <laughs> There's no plan for, for Bing to take market share from Google. The only plan that there is, is for Bing to destroy value and harm Google as a platform. And they were successful in that. They made Google dance, they pushed Google to to publish AI features in search that look very similar to what Bing has been doing. And they made the company move. And they made the company move in territories that are much less stable than they used to be. So Bing is kind of a bomb that Microsoft has thrown at Google. And in the meantime, all of Microsoft's other platforms and products like Azure, Minecraft, LinkedIn, GitHub, they're all thriving and they're all, they're all growing like crazy. So to me, the winner, Bing and Microsoft, and that is a very, very clever strategy from, I think, one of the best CEOs in the game right now, Satya Nadella. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And then I have a, a small winner, which is, I think Tesla's starting to win with the Cybertruck, because I've seen it on the road. So it's coming out, it's there, that's ugly, but a lot of people are going to buy it. It's a marketing stunt, but yeah. <laughs> you know, his marketing stunts work. You know, half yeah. the time you think it's a joke. Like, you know, I remember he had that flamethrower and everyone's like, that's a joke. And then he sold flamethrowers and like, he made a company called Boring. Like, and it sounded like a joke, but they, they make holes. So they make holes, they man. 
Elon Musk, richest man in the world, got rich by making holes. Which and brings others. us. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. A lot to say about Elon Musk, but that kind of brings us to our main topic of this episode, which is marketing agencies. Eli, have you ever worked with a really good agency or really bad agency? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think of like the worst agency I worked with. Let's not call them out here, but no, no. if you tell the story. You know, sometimes like I get called in like by bad agencies to save the day, and that's bad. You, you don't, you don't want to get that anywhere near you. I've worked with some really bad agencies that didn't deliver. They just kind of like lied about stuff. And it always made me think of like, there's no barrier to entry here. It's just like make an agency and you, you get a really good website and you're good to go. Really good agencies. There's some like fantastic agencies that I work with now where like I refer business to them when I can't handle it or it's not a fit for me. And what makes them fantastic is like they're, they're good people, they're creative and they deliver for the client. Like in a, in a way that, you know, in like in-house employees or a freelancer couldn't. I think I think agencies are awesome. I think the concept of agencies are awesome. Like you're, you know, forget digital marketing. You need like someone to that's not you to like help you. Like there's talent agencies that that work with actors. Like, can you imagine a world where like actors managers had to do like this one to one, like go out to every producer and every show and try to get them on the show but like there's agencies there's like hubs for it so i think i think it applies in digital marketing too and all marketing in general is like you need these hubs of experts that interface with the networks and understand all the technology and and they can really help you know really lift all boats what about you like what what are some agency horror stories agency celebratory stories and when are you making an agency we should talk about that yeah it's probably going to be a very quick answer, but let's put a pin on that for a second. I actually get called in or hired by clients quite a lot who either have concerns about their agency or have had terrible experiences. And especially lately, I've seen a lot of bad work. And there are lots of great agencies out there, don't get me wrong. It's not that all of, the, all of them are bad, but I've seen some really bad, bad work. And you can, you know, and sometimes you can tell by how the how the document is formatted or the deliverable is being presented. But, you know, I, I, I think w like some best practice or worst practices, better said, that I've seen is where you can tell that, first of all, like the recommendations are just very poor, not as in what they recommend, but how they're being delivered. There's very little actionable stuff on there. It's very high level. And then the client has to go out of their way to make that actionable and to 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 put it into chunks that they're you know, internal teams can execute on. So, you know, there one, one thing is like what's being recommended and what's being suggested from the agency. But the other thing is how it's being delivered and how easy agencies make the life of their clients, which is in my mind, really their main job. Another horror story is agencies who expand the contract of their clients when the scope changes. So there, there is, there are agencies out there who automatically add three months to the um, retainer or to the engagement if anything of the scope changes which is terrible and then maybe a third one i can mention is agencies who lock themselves away for months to do audits and all this stuff and then come out to present the client with some deliverable or some work i actually think it's there's whenever you sign a contract when, when, it's, when an engagement officially starts as an agency there's a clock ticking where the client's what waits for value because typically they they charge up front right or they they charge hefty prices 
And then if you as a client sit there for, for two or three months, I think even a full month might be too long, and you don't see any value from that agency, that is a massive red flag. And I do understand that sometimes you have to wrap your head around things and gain context and do your analysis, but the best agencies provide value from day one, and they don't wait months or even you know four weeks to deliver that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think there's like like amazing agencies, but it comes down to amazing people that choose to work for agencies. And, and I, I think that's the, that's the thing. Like there was an agency I recently recommended to a company I was hoping to help. And they came back to me and they're like, they have really bad reviews on Yelp. Like who goes on Yelp for reviews of agencies? That's like, and like one of the reviews was like, they charged us a hundred thousand dollars and didn't do anything. It's like, I think at that level, you probably like have a court case. You don't go on Yelp and say like the, the food was overdone. So the, and this agency I think has great people. And I think these have bad competitors who just go on Yelp to flame them. It really comes down to like good people at agencies who care about their work, understand their work, love being there. I think there are some agencies that are just collections of bad cranky people and the people at the top are earning a lot like high margin. And, and that's the agency business. It's all about margin. You know, you, how much you pay people to do their job and like how much you peel off the top. It's a totally different calculation when that work is done in house and the work is done in house. Like there was, there was a time where I was at a company and let's say I was getting paid a hundred thousand dollars and I thought about like the value of my work and I'm like, I don't know if I drive a hundred thousand dollars in value. Like what if they figure that out? Like I'm pretty screwed. But you know, at a company like you're an employee and you know, they don't really calculate the value of each employee down to like how much value they drive. Like, you know, that. The person that answers the the door, you know, or the you know answers the phone, might drive not drive the value of their salary, but they drive value in the grand scheme of things. So it's different. But at an agency, when you have an agency that's doing client business, and if the client reduces their spend, and you have that one person tasked to that, they do think about it differently. So really, it's it's all about margin. So it comes down to people. So let's go back to the question you put a pin in. Are you making an agency? I would never make an agency, and I respect everybody who does. For me, I, you know, this is mostly personal preference, but an agency is not an easy business if you want to do it really well and if you want to do it right. As you said, you need to find the right people. You need to standardize your deliverables and procedures, but you want to do it to a level where there is still some flexibility. And it's a very delicate balance that is very tough to get right. Plus, I actually think that there's a, a stark difference between agency operators, the architects or strategists behind these agencies, and, and the internal management. So I don't think I'm a great agency operator. I think I could be a great agency strategist who defines the product and maybe some of the deliverables and the common workflows and these kind of things. But I, I don't want to hire and manage a ton of people, vet them, you know, manage them out, bring them in, train them, all that kind of stuff. That is a different type of work that I don't think I'm, the, I'm, 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 I'm good at. And, and that's, that's one of the main reasons why I don't want to make an, build an agency. But there are some really good reasons to build an agency. So I, I did a quick, I did a bit of research on agencies in the US. There are about 14,000 marketing agencies of them right now, roughly. Oh, wow. Which is a lot, which is you know, not little competition. And to be fair, you know, some of them might just operate on a local level and just do, you know, marketing is very broad. So they might just do the, 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 the logo or some local newspaper ads for the, you know, thrift shop around the corner or so. But the interesting thing is marketing agencies can, they, so I looked at what is the annual revenue that they bring in on average? 
And it ranges between three and seven million dollars. So something like an outdoor agency or outdoor advertising agency, better said, they are on the lower end with an average annual income of three million. Income is revenue, not 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 profits. And then digital marketing agencies are actually leading the the herd with about seven million in average annual revenue, which is not bad, especially if you consider that the average agency has ten to forty employees, and the average salary is about is a bit over 60,000 US dollars a year. So, you know, if you think about spending about, you know, maybe maybe a million to two on, on employee costs, which is the largest cost factor at an agency, and you make seven million, plus you pay for maybe offices, even though these days you might not even need them, plus some software and marketing collateral, that makes for, that makes for a fairly good margin. But again, that is also like, that. I, I actually think there's a power law where a few amazing agencies are actually doing the best and most of the work, and then all the yeah, the rest is fighting for breadcrumbs. Would you do one, Eli? Would you start one? No. And and the reason I wouldn't is because I, I think it's a different business than what I do. So to, two things that actually on that. So our, we had one guest on our podcast. We had the, the GOAT of consulting, Alan Weiss. And Alan, in his books and in his talks, he talks about how he's a solo practitioner, he's a solo consultant, and he would never have any actual full-time employees. And I, I subscribe to that because of what I do, not that no one should ever have employees. I like being a solo consultant. I like that the value I deliver is myself, essentially, partnering with a team. If I were to scale myself into an agency, I, I'm certainly scaling, but now I'm not delivering myself. I'm delivering my management of the people that work with me. And I think that's a different prop, value prop. I think that's a different product and one that I don't want to personally sell. On the other side, and the biggest reason I don't want an agency is because I like what I do right now. I like working with companies. I like working on the problem. I like building my own personal brand and by thereby getting clients. And if I were to have an agency, it'd be about building a company, building an asset that is an agency and leveraging myself by managing and, and you know, helping my team to do better at their job. But I think it, it's not something I personally want to do. I like spending my time doing marketing, not spending my time managing a, broad, a brand and a product and a company. But you know, the, the strong argument for agency and the reason why many people start agencies, I'd say is one, you scale yourself. So if you don't have enough bandwidth to do all the things you want to do, you now have other people to do them like, Again, I personally like writing and I, I like doing my own marketing and I like working directly with clients. But if there was pieces that I wouldn't like doing, then I'd have someone to do that for me. That'd be a specialist in it. The other big reason that a lot of people start agencies, and one that I think about all the time, is the ability to exit. So right now, you and I work for ourselves. We can't exit. No one wants to buy Eli. That mean buying Eli means hiring me as a full-time employee, and that's not not prospect I want. Hiring Kevin is not a prospect I, you want. But if you have an agency, if you make, you know, the Kevin Indig agency, so you can get acquired and all your employees can get acquired and your book, your business would be acquired and then you go off to the beach. There's that, right? But I, I, there's certainly multiples of it. But until you get to that point, that's, you know, first of all, never guaranteed that you'll get to that point. But until you get to that point, you work very hard. So like, I'd rather like work for myself now, do these things now. And then get to the point. What about you? Like, do you think about like, what's your end game? Like, how do you exit and get out of the business other than like, you know, calling the clients, telling them you're done and going to the beach? <laughs> I don't know, man. There's no, there's no end game yet. I think this is an infinite game for me, which I love. 
But I, I totally hear you on the exit. I think, and honest, my honest opinion is, I, I know a lot of people who work towards that exit. The, the basic plan is, okay, I'm going to put five to 10 years of hard sweat equity into this business. You can bootstrap it to That's another one of the benefits of an agency and then sell it for maybe a couple of million. And then who knows what I'm going to do then. And that's, you know, again, I respect that. I think that's fine. If you do it well, all the power to you, but it's a tough business. And so, you know, I think there's, there's a natural question of how do you identify a good agency or what, what are signals or green flags of good agencies? And in my mind, there are a couple. One of them is, you know, if they're very gated with doing any work before getting paid, typically a red flag. And I don't say, you know, abuse the situation, have agencies work for free. Like there obviously is a balance here. But generally, if you, you want to get the feeling that the agency goes above and beyond to make you happy and to help you out. They might even share some insights for free in the beginning. And that's a great idea. Number two, you can actually talk to the person who's going to manage your account. A big problem is that, you know, you're being lured in is probably a bit of a strong word, right? But you're being persuaded by someone who might be, you know, popular or might have a higher uh, reputation in the space and, and you've got to talk to them the whole time. And then once you sign the contract, turns out your account manager is actually someone else. So you want to, you want to talk to the person, vet the person who actually manages your account. And then three, another good sign or green flag of a good agency is that their material is just polished and clean. It's not the end all be all, but I have a, I, I never saw an agency that had, you know, like poor material in terms of slide decks or sheets, even in the, especially in the pitch and then did great work after that. So in my mind, good material doesn't make a good agency, but bad material certainly makes a bad agency. And then maybe the last one is you, you know, you want to talk to an agency who doesn't shy away from, from connecting you with previous clients, right? Like similar to hiring someone, I would bet an agency by asking them, okay, can you, can you connect me with one to three clients or companies you worked with? And can I talk to, to the person who you worked with? And can I ask them about their experience? Eli, you have any pointers, like any ways or or red or I mean red or green flags that you look for when it comes to agencies. Yeah, I love that point about you know being able to point to current past clients. I, I hear this all the time, especially with like link building agencies where they're like big brand X and big and, you know huge brand Y, and they won't really give the names of of clients. And I I think if you've done above board work in whatever you do, you want to name your clients again, provided there's no like NDA that doesn't allow you to do it. But you want to name your clients because the clients don't care. Like you ran an ad campaign for them. Someone did it. They didn't do it. And you can say you did it. There's no, there's no secret sauce. It's only when there's like a secret sauce. So like you bought a bunch of PBN links or, you know, for our, our non SEO listeners, those are bad links. Those are spammy created links. So if you've done stuff like that, you don't want to name your clients because you don't want to get them in trouble. But if you get your clients pay, placed in the New York Times and in the Wall Street Journal, you're not hiding anything. You want to say, like, I, I worked with, you know, I, I worked with FTX as a link builder and I got, I got links from the, the Manhattan jail. Like, you want, you want to talk about these things. No, but, but, serious, but, you know, really jokes aside, like, I, I think it, that's an important signal. If the clients, if the agency does not give names of brands, does not give clients, the references thing I think is interesting. Like, I personally, hate doing reference calls, like hate when clients ask me for a reference call, because I find that, I mean, I know my references are good, right? Like, obviously, I'm not going to point them to someone that I think would say something negative about me, point them to current clients, so like them things that are negative to say about me, there's other ways to deal with that. But I, 
I always find that when they do the reference call, it's like an excuse not to work with me. Like then like after reference call, like, you know, it turns out my boss didn't approve the budget. So like now I've wasted like social capital on the reference call. So I'll ask like five times, like, are we ready to go to contract? Are we all before the reference call? Because they feel like when you have a, a breakable contract, you know, you start working together and you're like, I don't really like you. You can break the contract. So what you're not getting married with the reference call, like with the contract. So the, the reference call is just like another excuse to like not work with someone. Yeah, I when I do reference calls for companies, I work like I've hired an agency. When I did a reference call, it wasn't like are they honest because I knew they were going to give me a reference that would say good things. It was more because I wanted to hear what they did. I wanted to like co- more color on on the work they've done other than the brand or like, hey, we helped you know we helped Barack Obama become Barack Obama. Like I kind of want to hear like how did you talk to them? Like when how often you talk and like what were your relationships like? But that's my thing. What do you what do you think about references and like is that a good signal or bad signal? Is that something you do? Yeah, you know, I, I I was once asked by a potential client for three references and I gave them, you know, I connected them with three people I worked with and they're CMOs and CEOs. And then, you know, those people had to take some of their valuable time, do me a favor, talk to that client. And then that client was like, oh, we're not ready yet. So I I hate that, you know, I, I think that's terrible form. You You want to basically be in a place where you say, look, I'm bought in, I'm ready to sign. All I want to do is like, you know, maybe have talk to one or three references and just, you know, as you said, like learn a bit more about that, see if there are any major red flags, but be sure you're ready to sign before asking someone for references, right? Be respectful of their time. Other than that, I think it's it's a mixed practice. I think on the one hand, it's a red flag when, when somebody doesn't want to give you reference calls. But on, on the other hand, I also agree with you, Eli. Of course, if I'm being asked for references, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the best references, right? I'm not going to give people who I had an issue with, which luckily hasn't happened, but could happen. And you, you obviously filter that. And then, you know, there's a, there's a spiel to it. There's a game to it. But I think it's a red flag when somebody doesn't want to provide references. There's probably something up in the air. Yeah, totally. So, you know, I, I think that's a good point. Be respectful of your time. Really think about, like, how you would to check a reference like how how would you feel if someone was checking a reference about you to your point about everyone or not having an issue with a client yet you will so there are <laughs> there are terrible clients out there just like they're terrible agencies i was very fortunate in that one of the first clients i worked with when i became a first when i first started in consulting was beyond awful they were they were abusive like i i came to deliver the product to them and i was in a meeting with like 10 people and they're like this is it. This is dumb. This is stupid. This is what we paid for. And I was like, really glad that that happened to me because they're, they were, they're bad people out there. And they're, you know, I didn't trust my gut. The first time I met them, they were, they were like, oh, we currently pay our, our uh, SEO advisor a hundred dollars an hour. And I want to be like, yeah, there's, there's no way they're going to be happy with anything here. And I, I actually solved their problem and they made millions of dollars off of it and they were still abusive. So I'm glad it was a short project. Everyone deserves to have bad bosses and bad clients and bad everything because then you then you know it's an experience you have to have and the first time you have it it sucks and like after that you know there could be good people and there be bad people fed some awful bosses like really bad bosses like i had this boss he gave me this work to do he's like i need you to build a presentation i figure what it's for like build a presentation i gotta deliver it to the board tomorrow and i stayed up like all night and gave him the presentation and like mailed it emailed it to him like two in the morning and then the next day I come into work and I'm like, oh, was it this is what you expected? Like, I'm all tired, I'm all stressed. It's like, oh, you know, we've gone a different direction, so I haven't looked at it yet. 
I want I want nice. to just go home. But there's people out there. So, you know, judge clients, agencies, employees, all the same. There's you know good people and bad people. But bringing this back to agencies, so you're not making an agency. I'm not gonna make an agency. There are great agencies out there. We've got the signs of you know a great agency, mostly that they're transparent. Any other what are you, what's the opposite of a red flag? Green flag? Yeah, green flag. Absolutely. So as as mentioned earlier, right, like they're 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 going out of the way to provide you value, maybe even before the contract is signed, but certainly once the contract has started or the engagement has started officially. So they have that they have that urgency, you know, back up, top of mind. Another major green flag is also when they have their own test projects. So especially in the SEO, I think it's great form if the agency maintains some of their own sites to test things out because it's so testing heavy and so important to try things and have a practical application. Number three, I like contracts that are that have a small performance-based component. So something like 80% cash and then 20% is performance-based to make sure that the, the agency is somewhat invested in the success of the client. And then number four, I... I, I'm a big fan of agencies who who have a, a broader eye on the business, right? So, for example, they will notice an article about the industry that the client is in and they will share it with the client or they will give maybe some suggestions outside of their core focus. Say they come in for SEO, but then they notice something in their ad campaigns or they notice something that is affecting conversion rate optimization or so. So they add add some extra value those are all great signs of good agency. Eli, what's on your list? My favorite sign of a good agency is, is this someone you would hire? Because that's the way I view agencies, like you're hiring them. There's an extension of your team. And to me, the biggest challenge I have with agencies is the way the agency is structured. So you saw this because you were at big companies. You know, when you get an agency pitch, you get like the, the smartest people show up. You know, they give a good pitch. You ask them a question. And you're like, this person is so much smarter than me. I want to hire this agency because I want to work with this person. And then you sign the contract and they're gone. You don't even have their phone number. And you're getting like this junior person who's doing things that you wouldn't do. And you feel like you've been baited and switched. I is that the past tense version of that. But that's and I, I think that's a big challenge with agencies, and that's the way they structure. And like, like we said earlier, it's all about margin. Like, it, there's if you were going to get that top person, and you only want that top person, that's not an agency. That's like what you and I do. We're solo consultants. That person is leveraging themselves and growing themselves by having their team around them. So, I think that the green flag, green flag, and red flag. Green flag is like, do you want to hire this person? Do you want to partner with this person? Red flag is like, if you have a sense that this person is now going to disappear. Now, there are account managers out there, and there's some agencies that are referred to now for things I don't do, that are really good. And they are, they're not digital marketing experts, but they're the account manager. So they're kind of like the salesperson. And then they're the manager after the sales process, and they help direct the people that are doing the thing. So if you meet this account manager, and you're like, oh, I really want this account manager on my team. That's good, right? But if you meet the CEO, and you're like, I really want the CEO on my team, you're fooling yourself if you think the CEO is going to be your agency point of contact. So green flag, red flag, like who's the person? Like, are you hiring them? And like, to, to me, that's the biggest thing about agency because it's a collaboration. It's not a, it's not a, it's not an outsourced project. Like you're not like, oh, I've extended my team by hiring somebody random on Upwork. Like, no, you've hired, a, you're, you've hired someone there, your partnership, they're representing you. 
And you even think about like, we had a whole episode on, on Bud Light when we talked about what happened with Budweiser. It's, I don't know, we don't know all the details, but it's very possible the agency did that whole thing and then the, in, the employees of Budweiser just signed off on it. So we don't know because they're never going to do a postmortem that everyone knows like how that worked out. But your agency is your representative. Your agency does media buying. Their agency might go and give you a long list of, here are the places I plan to advertise. And buried in that list might be a, a website or a TV channel that's not, that reflects pretty poorly on you. And, you know, you sign off on it, but ultimately the agency is the one bringing to you. So like, I really think the agency is an extension of your team through your employee the same way, you know, that the manager gets fired. If the employee does something horrific and the manager approves, the agency is the same way. Great call though, Eli, about, you know, hiring the person. It's actually not that uncommon that an agency account manager goes in house because they had such a good experience with that person and that person oh, yeah. ended up say the client. So great call out. I think we I think we really draw a good picture here about agencies, what makes good ones, bad ones, how to think about them. And you know, one thing that I noticed when you and I were talking is we have a lot of experience and I love this podcast, but I was did you did you ever think about making a course? Like should do you ever think about should we make a course? You I just want you say one thing agency. I think you and I do the same thing, which is we're specialists. And like we've both chosen to be specialists in what we do. Even though we say we're growth advisors, I'm I'm a product-led SEO specialist. I wrote a book on product-led SEO. But so before we get to the course and what we'll do a course on, if we should do a course. And you are you're an SEO specialist. You're an SEO genius, I think. But Thank like you. I need to know many, many agencies that are specialists in other things because I don't want to do those things. So I love having this like long list of like influence agency like Intellifluence was one of our sponsors. Like you know, specialist software, like you know, we I wore accidentally were on crawl stuff a couple weeks ago and we accidentally advertised for on crawl. Thank you, on crawl. Right. So like I, I like to know these things. So if you're an agency out there and you want us to know you exist and you do really good work, tell us. And if we can refer you business, tell us. So Kevin, you were asking me a question. You want to go back to that question? Yeah, no, I was just thinking, you know, we were talking about our expertise and <clears throat> you were talking about product led SEO, which obviously you wrote the defining book on. Have you ever thought about doing a course and would you like consider doing a, a like a co-ed course? I thought about doing a course, but then I realized I don't want to do it by myself. Should we do a course? I don't know. Let's 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 let the, the listeners decide. If you if you're a pro course, comment on our Substack where how you should like that's how you probably saw this this email or this podcast. Leave us a quick comment. If you like give us a thumbs up or thumbs down if you think we should do a course. Or if we should spend our time in, in other ways. But I'd be I'd be curious what people think. IP games. Yeah. I, I think we should do it. If people comment and they, they're interested in it, well, you're one of the first people to do that. We'll put you at the top of the wait list if we ever do this. Love it. Cool, man. That's a wrap. Thanks, Eli. Ciao.